Our reading today is from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, starting at verse 17, Habakkuk, chapter 3. Very short passage. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here at Knox, we are working through the practices of Jesus. If you're a guest here, we've been in the series exploring how do we live this resurrection life, and um, how we do that is through what we call the practices of Jesus. And today, we're going to be looking at a, one of my favorite practices, the spiritual discipline of feasting, of celebration. If you were here this morning... If you were here this morning, you would have had a beautiful experience of that. I'm just picking up a little piece of confetti, which is a rema- reminder of this morning. It was, I got to say, spectacular. Ashley pulled out all the stops. We didn't have a balloon drop, but confetti guns, confetti going all over. Seriously, from the balcony down here, just like that. I'm sorry, that is as good as it gets tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a child-focused, family-focused service this morning, so the kids were leading us in worship. Ashley uh, had all the children up this morning as she talked about the practice of celebration and feasting, and it was beautiful and interactive, and mine is just going to be a whole lot more boring, so sorry about that, okay? <laughs> so because of that, we really need to pray right now. So let's pray for some Holy Spirit fire, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that at the core of the universe is you, Father, Son, and Spirit, living together in eternal delight and celebration. And you invite us in on that party. Teach us, God, to be joy-filled people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what an oxymoron is? An oxymoron, you know what that is, right? It's a sort of this figure of speech where you sort of mash together two what seems like opposing, contradictory items. Um, so things like jumbo shrimp or fresh frozen. Um, intense apathy would be an oxymoron. Government organization would be another one. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity. Sensitive guy, right? There you go. (laughs) Educational TV, there's another one. (laughs) Do you have any good oxymorons? Military intelligence, there you go. Yes. What's that? You're You're not going with that already, okay. As we look at the practices of Jesus, I think this one, what we're looking at, Um, You know, these practices, sometimes people call them spiritual disciplines. This one might be considered an oxymoron by many people. The spiritual discipline of celebration. The rigorous 
disciplined, controlled act of celebrating. Feels like two very disparate things coming together. That can strike you as odd, but maybe we need to ask ourselves some questions to understand that sometimes we need to practice. We need a disciplined practice of joy and celebration. Because here, let me ask you this. Is joy the everyday experience of your life? Is your life one long, utterly shameless experience of unadulterated joy, mirth, and glee? Do people have to regularly tell you, could you stop being so happy? Is the default, however, of your heart something else? Do you find it far easier to focus on all that's wrong, to be anxious about the future? Do you think that worrying and complaining is actually your spiritual gift? <laughs> Let's do a little test, okay? Think of this, this past month, just this past month, maybe just this past week, have you complained at all? Have you complained to someone else or maybe just complained internally? Have you complained maybe about your physical appearance? Uh, about your education, or maybe about your lack of education, about your finances, about your lack of finances, about how busy you are. Have you complained about uh, a roommate, a spouse, uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or maybe a lack of a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a spouse in your life, uh, about the church, about someone in the church, about the weather, about the traffic? Just raise your hands if you've done that. You're such a grumpy lot of people you are. <laughs> we, why, why do we need a disciplined practice of celebration? Because generally we are a grumpy lot of people. We are joy-challenged people, right? And I'm convinced one of the reasons for this is a contemporary reason. It is that little glowing rectangle we often hold in our hands, our phones. And I know I've been down on all sorts of tech. I love my technology, you just gotta know. But think of this, so often our news feeds and our social media feeds, they set the emotional equilibrium for the day. Like we check them first thing, and, and these news feeds in particular, they sort of set our view of the world, right? The rage of Twitter and the trolls of social media, they are stealing the joy that God meant for you to have. And really, when you think about it, to be honest, the news feed is not even an accurate reflection of the world because it is a curated news feed, right? All those things that pop up in, in your uh, news feed, they have a very specific agenda because it is bent always to what is wrong and what is broken in the world because that is where the money is. That's where all the clicks get. Um, and so it gives you an inaccurate picture of the world, actually. But there's so many other reasons why joy is just not our strong suit and why we need this practice of celebration. And we need it because joy is the serious business of the Christian life. The heart of God's kingdom is joy. And I love this old word, mirth. Mirth. Throughout the Bible, there is the call, and not just the call, the commandment to rejoice, to a life of joy. Let me just give you a quick sampling, okay? This is the day that the Lord has made, so what? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, 
May all who seek you, says the psalmist, may all who seek you have a glum face and be curdled in their spirit. No, 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 no. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. I bring of great joy, says the angel. Psalm, I think it's 126, says our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And then the fruit of the Spirit cultivates these beautiful fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So important. Second one, joy. There's a priority maybe there. (laughs) Jesus. uh, No, the, the Apostle Paul in one of his writes, I write this to make your joy complete. Jesus praying for his disciples and he asked the Father and he says, I pray that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. Are you getting a feel for this, right? Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian life, said G.K. Chesterton. And it's not just a good thing we should be doing. It's a command. And if it's a command, joyful living has to be within reach of us, which means we can practice this. We can practice it, friends. God did not set an impossible standard. He set something. He offers us a life available for us. I think one of the challenges, however, for joy, for real celebration, is, is a lot of the sadness and, and tragedy in the world, right? I bet many of us can feel that within our hearts in the terms of the call to celebrate because there's something in our hearts that says, well, look at the world. I mean, we live in this broken, tear-stained world. How can we have gladness where there is such profound brokenness, where children live with bloated, hungry bellies, where women cower under the fist of abuse, where too many people live with HIV, AIDS, or other diseases, where racial genocide happens, where nations are ruled by corrupt rulers and dictators. What right do we have to joy in a world like that, that is just bent over, right? heavy with brokenness and sorrow. How dare we in the face of that scandalous misery and injustice, how do we dare celebrate? It almost feels self-absorbed, doesn't it? Uh, Sort of a luxuriating indifference to everything that's wrong in the world. As God's people, I'm glad that we might feel that. We should be sensitive. We need, the gospel calls us to be sensitized to every injustice in this world. So God is a God of justice. But here's the thing. I'm convinced we cannot be people of justice and compassion without the discipline of celebration and fasting. Think of it. What will make you a deeply compassionate person, someone who is quick and ready to fight injustice for the long term, someone who cares for the overwhelming needs of the marginalized and the poor in this world, what is it going to, what is going to shape you to be that sort of person? I got to tell you this, guilt will not do it, okay? You might be prompted by guilt to spend some quick money for the hungry children because of a guilt hangover you have. You might do some guilt-induced justice work for victims of oppression, but just the short term, right? Guilt is like emotional crack. You need another hit real quick. It's not energy for a long-term just life. It is joy and gladness that does that. Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes? 
And you get a picture of this in Jesus' life too, because in Hebrews 12, there's this beautiful verse where it reports that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. It was the joy that Jesus had in mind that fueled, that empowered, that strengthened him to endure the mockery, the injustice, the pain. Joy was that motivating impulse for the cross. It is only in the joy of God will we actually be moved to be people of justice, people of compassion in this world, which makes the practice of celebration so important for us. The practice of feasting, the cultivation of joy, it is exactly what we need to brave the misery and face the brokenness and live justly in this world. I think our best protest, the raised fist of protest to all that is wrong in this world is delight and joy. Because see, here's the thing about evil. Evil is a parasite on what is good. Evil can only exist because there is good in the world. Evil is a vandal of all that's right. And so a defiantly good protest to evil, an antidote to fear, is to delight in what is good, to practice celebration. And that does not mean, Christian joy does not mean, you know, we paste on a happy face and we become ignorant of all the tragedy in the world. The practice of feasting and celebration, the experience of Christian joy is never an escape, right, from all the injustice, all the tragedy. It is the experience of God even within all that brokenness. Authentic Christian joy is always, it must be compatible with sorrow. If it isn't, joy is shallow and glib. It is just a silly smirk on our face. It is not joy. So joy is always compatible with sorrow in the world, but sorrow must never bully and dominate joy. Jesus, near the end of his life, gathered his disciples, and he said to his disciples, you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And he's talking to 12 disciples who will very soon be persecuted, who will suffer so much, who will be put to death, and yet he promises them a joy that, is, that exceeds all of that suffering. Nothing, not loneliness or hardship or disease or death is going to take away that joy. So we gotta ask, is that the, the sort of unmovable joy we are experiencing? Or maybe you're wondering, how can I get that in my life? How on earth can I know that? Well, it is partly the practice of celebration. And here's where we get into Habakkuk. I don't know if you know Habakkuk, the prophetic book. It is just a profound, beautiful book, and it is an extended lament. The whole book is this heartbreaking cry to God about why is life so hard, God? He's experiencing horrible things in his life, and he's not hiding a thing, not pasting a pious smile. He is just putting it to God, right? Unafraid to do that, which is really important. We can do that, friends. We bring to God all our laments, our, the injustices, the tragedies. We don't need to paste a pious face to do that. Why, God, he's saying? Why do good things, bad things happen to good people? What sort of world are you running here, God? Why do these horrible things happen? Hurricanes, earthquakes, parents forced to bury their children. Why does it seem that so often it's the rich who are just getting 
you know, getting free and, it's the, and they're being unrighteous, but those who live decently and good fall behind and get trampled on. Why are there constant wars, God? Why do we work so hard and it seems like our plans come to nothing? Sometimes our, our vision of life, our experience of life can just be that, can it? Just overwhelmed with the cares, the concerns, the tragedies of life. And joy then just gets bullied by anxiety and worry. But I love, that's not where the prophet ends. So it is this long, extended rant of a lament, and then yet at the very end of the book, he still, he just names it, even though the fig tree does not bud, even though there's no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop has failed, the fields produce no food, even though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. This sucks, God. Everything is bleak. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What Habakkuk does is just so counterintuitive, right? He makes the choice to rejoice. Can you say that? Make the choice to rejoice. <laughs> he is practicing joy. He could have opted for bitterness, right? Could have opted for anxiety and worry and let that wreck him. He could have picked anger and irritability to eat away at him. Instead, he makes the choice to rejoice. He says, I'm going to practice joy. Yet, I will be joyful in God my Savior. He's saying, even with all the tragedy and pain, that is not the full story. There's a bigger reality, there's a bigger God at play, and therefore I will not allow those circumstances to define my life. Yes, they impact me, I feel the pain, but they are not the definition of my life. So celebrations and joy, you know what, they don't just happen, they take practice. The practice of celebration is that choice to rejoice. And Habakkuk shows us how to live this out. He says, I will be joyful in God my Savior. So you're going to have some bad days. You're going to have some really bad days. You've had those already, haven't you? You're filled with frustration. The dinner burns. You forgot an appointment. The dog just crapped all over the floor. You blew it at school. The car broke down. And it just goes south from there, right? And right there, you're faced with this choice. And just like Habakkuk, we can let those circumstances define completely, drain the color from life so it's just grayscale, or we can practice celebration. No matter who you are, no matter what you suffered, you can invite joy in and practice celebration. Because all the anger you feel and the wounds you carry and the worry and anxiety that is palpable and real that plagues your living, that won't be fixed by a one-shot joy miracle from God. That is just going to be altered by the many and the regular practices of celebration where you school your heart in the joy that sits in the heart of heaven. Again, this is what Habakkuk does. Yet I will rejoice in my God. And you wonder, is it that simple? Really? Just a choice to rejoice? Come on. Because it feels like everything in this world is strong, all the frustrations, the hurt. Isn't, it, isn't that just like 
fooling ourselves a little bit, you know, trying to, I don't know, work up joy in our hearts. But here's the thing. We will not know joy and delight and glee because we have it in ourselves. We won't. There is a place from which joy flows. Look at the focus of Habakkuk's joy. It's not in himself. It's rooted in God. I will rejoice in God my Savior. The only way we will find joy is through faith. So many of us are led to believe. It's interesting, as I talk to people, so many of us are led to believe that in a broken world, joy is almost naive. Right? It's like, you don't know the world. I think we're so cynical. And we think joy is this naive emotion. You know, people would say to the joyful, you're really just ignoring reality. Well, no. Joy is the choice to believe that there is something more. There is a grander narrative at work in this world. And the brokenness and pain we experience does not get the final say. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So whatever we're missing joy in our life, whatever we fail to practice celebration, we've got to think, where have I made choices? Intellectual choices, life choices. It's likely because we believe, we have made the choice to believe that that uh, sadness is a safe thing to believe in that. You believe that joy is rare and sadness is the norm. But I, I would challenge you and ask, what's your rationale for believing that? For believing that you cannot live in joy today? We will not know the merriness of God. We will not know the mirth that sits in the heart of God unless we are convinced, unless we know that God is the most joyful being in the universe and invites us into that very life. Joy is a fruit, right, of a relationship with God. It is a product of that faith with God. And so the joy of the resurrection, it gets practiced in us. Joy has this logic to it, right, this deep rationale rooted in it and it is the logic of the gospel. God saves, and in the cross of Jesus Christ, something has happened. This bent and broken world is now being restored and redeemed. That kingdom movement is afoot. It is a happening. And so misery and brokenness, it will not last. Death, it does not get the final word. Sadness, it will pass away, because joy is eternal. God is restoring and renewing this world in our lives. And because we believe this to be true, because the tomb is empty, because Jesus is on the throne in heaven, we have the faith to practice resurrection through celebration. And it feels so counterintuitive sometimes, but we practice celebration. It's one of the ways that Christians have done this throughout. It is why we worship together. One of the central practices of celebration is what we do right here. We sing, we celebrate, we worship because of the goodness of God. Our hearts break out into songs and adoration and dancing. Let there be more dancing in the church, yes? <laughs> and laughter. Making music is one of the best acts of celebration. Use your body. Like the body, our bodies are the locus of God's work. It was redemptive work in our lives. And so we need to practice celebration in our bodies, which means get your body moving. Yes? 
And laughter. Laughter is this embodied, visceral gut thing that comes out, right? <laughs> laughter, yes. Make music that we can sing to. Churches is one of the final places, right, where actually a community comes together and sings together, where we can experience joy together. It is so good. This is why we worship. So sing, friends. Sing loudly. Sing badly, too, okay? I'm a bad singer, but sometimes I feel the joy, Lord, and I am glad to sing loudly and badly. That's okay. Yes, a joyful noise. <laughs> Another practice of, of celebration is simply feed your heart with beauty, which is why we have, like, stained glass windows and art, why we Where's flowers? Flowers are back there. They were at least. Simple practice. Gather together flowers. Put them together. Just allow the beauty of something physical like that. Feed your soul. That's an act of celebration. Enjoy the goodness of creation. Richard Foster writes about celebration. Again, just beautiful quote. He says, God has established a created order full of excellent and good things, and it follows naturally that as we give our attention to those things, we will find joy. That is God's appointed way to joy through those created physical things, friends. But if we fill our lives with he says, if we think we'll have joy only by praying and singing psalms, we'll be disillusioned. So worship, he's saying, is not the only thing. There's a far bigger swath of joy to be had. If we fill our lives with simple good things and constantly thank God for them, we will be joyful. That is full of joy. So practice celebration with simple good things. You know what? This is the beautiful thing is, you don't need to be rich to do this, right? You just go to the park, enjoy the spring flowers, enjoy the green of creation. Cultivate gratitude. There's another practice of celebration. Peter, can you haul out one of those little thanks cards? Yes, right there, in your benches, your pews, these little thank you cards, because we believe uh, the cultivation of gratitude is one of the most profound antidotes to unjoy. <laughs> gratitude, what it does is it focuses our attention on what is good. And so we curate a thought life that aligns with the goodness of God that is at work in the world. And we find that expressing gratitude, it is an act of celebration, celebrating the goodness we see in others, in creation, in their acts, in their persons. It is one of the most central practices of the Christian faith, to celebrate God by cultivating gratitude. You know, one of the ways we can celebrate, too, is by follow the Christian calendar. The Christian calendar is filled with all sorts of feasts, right, in our Christian story. Let's celebrate those. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Good Friday, Easter, Pentecost, Ascension. We've got to learn how to throw a better party at all of these is what we've got to do, right? In fact, throw a party. The act of hospitality, we call it sometimes the discipline of celebration or the discipline of feasting, sort of mash them together. Turn even minor events into occasions for a feast. You know, Knox has a really good history. Someone once told me, Knox um, has a way to your heart, but it's through your stomach because we celebrate, we feast a lot, uh, which is good. Knox, next year, 2020, we are coming on our 200th anniversary. 
And we, we have a team already gathered, and we said, you know what, we need uh, not just a day celebrate, we need a year of a good party. So this is what we're planning for 2020. We're going to throw a good year-long celebration, because that's only worth it, right? Because we believe we need a practice celebration. Um, throw a Monday party, just because it's Monday, right? Yes! Find the smallest of occasions and make a party for it, right? Because it's the first day of summer. Make, make birthdays, feasts, all right? Allow your birthday to be a real cause for celebration or those around you. Seriously, we got those, that's a serious business of celebration. So one of the simple ways, again, that Christians have practiced this habit, this practice, is simply eating and drinking with others, feasting. So ideally, open your home, open your apartment, and if that doesn't work, go to a third space, a pub, a restaurant, a cafe. Maybe it's a good time for you to figure out how to cook a really great meal, uh, right? Yes, that's a good thing, like just taking the time to, to, to put together a really lovely feast. That's an expression of celebration. Um, of the goodness of God. And as you host a meal, think of creative ways to express the love of Jesus for others. Celebration in whatever form, it's a form of worship is what it is. And so let's keep that God focus to our practice. Because I think there's a, there's a worldly form of celebration that, that doesn't quite capture what, what God's after in this practice. You know, there's a worldly form of celebration, partying you might call it, whatever it is, where you, you throw a party really to escape life um, and not to find joy even in the midst of the brokenness of life. Um, in the world, you abuse food and alcohol, but in God's kingdom, you use that to savor it. Like, Yes, wine, good things, okay? Enjoy a good glass of wine at a party, but we don't abuse it. In a party in the world, you know, it's often an invite only where it's an exclusive group. In the kingdom of God, we, we invite all comers to the party. It's a very different way that we celebrate. Now, I recognize, just to close up real quick, that some of us have won the genetic lottery, so it's easy for us for this practice, right? Um, in my marriage, Betty and I have dif different dispositions, and, uh, and I have a more tendency to, to see the sunnier side of life, um, and she doesn't. But no matter what your Myers-Briggs personality type, right? No matter your personality, um, no matter if you're plagued with anxiety and depression, I get that, right? Some of us wrestle that's a real reality that just weighs heavy upon us but jesus is still concerned with the transformation of our hearts and invites you step by step into that life of joy and no matter where we are it is the invitation to step deeper into that joy and it is this practice of celebration that gives us the strength we need, even despite our personality dispositions, despite the disorders we might experience, it gives us the strength to walk in joy. And it gives us the strength to live all these other disciplines too. So what we're saying when we practice the discipline of celebration is the presence of God, the victory of Christ, it is the most real thing in my life. It is the most central thing in my life. And so today, even though the evidence 
around me, says that life is pain and misery, even though depression and anxiety might be a cloud of gloom. Nevertheless, I will make a joyful noise to the Lord. So friends, the discipline of celebration, not an oxymoron. It is not an escapist view from reality. It is a way to embrace the deepest reality of all, that at the heart of the universe is a God of infinite joy, and his life is one eternal celebration that we are meant to savor and to know. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are so good. Thank you, God, for this, this practice of celebration. It does sometimes feel like a, a countercultural act of defiance. Thank you for all the ways that we can enjoy a celebration, even within our wider culture. Thank you that, for the big party that Toronto threw this past week. But even there, God, we see how that beautiful big party quickly, so quickly, got stained by pain and tragedy. And it reminds us, God, that it is in your kingdom where we find the deepest, truest celebration. So keep us focused there at all times. And help us, God, wherever we are at, to take that next step to practice. Maybe we're not really good at this, God, but it's a practice. And so it's something we can do. We can step into joy. Encourage us in that way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.